welcome to SNESCAPADES, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time-ish, usually, sometimes. Uh, we play them briefly, we judge them harshly, we rank them, that is pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. And we are talking tunes today, TTT, you might say. That's right, uh, we got another inexplicably themed episode for you today uh the last two games from february 1993 and we have two games that are are adaptations of cartoons that were running at the time so uh what do we what do we got today well we've got uh tiny tune adventures buster bust loose which is based on tiny tunes obviously it was a pretty popular cartoon back in the day and uh, getting a reboot now, uh, again, because we willed it into existence uh, a few episodes ago, if you, yep. you may remember. And uh, the Adams Family Pugsley Scavenger Hunt, which is based specifically on the Adams Family cartoon series that aired around that time. Let's see, how many seasons did that actually go for? That got, I think that got two seasons from what I saw. Yeah, yeah, looks like you're right. Actually, the, the second Hanna-Barbera Adam's Family cartoon. I recently found out that they had done another one in the 70s. I actually, I found out about it because I was at my local retro store and they had a VHS of an Adam's Family cartoon. I was like, wait, is this the one from, from the early 90s? And I, and I was like, no, this is this one looks different. And right at the back, it said 73. So there we go. There have been a lot of Adam's Family adaptations over the years. Yeah, there really have. They just, they keep going back to it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I think the thing that's kind of nice about the Adam's Family is that their aesthetic is already so weird and so different from whatever is supposed to be going on around them that it's kind of ageless. Like, you can just have the Adam's Family look and sound exactly the way they always do, and it works just as well in any time period. The Adam's Family has just always been pretty entertaining it's always been a, a very strange and, and satirical show and um you know the, the fact that they are this this weird group of gothy death obsessed but very very lighthearted and fun people just always kind of make them oddly charming to watch and yeah i can't really speak for the quality of the show that the uh, game we're going to be talking about today is adapted from because i do remember it existing i don't really remember much about it. But, you know, I will say uh, The Addams Family is one of those things where you can kind of scale them up and down in terms of the maturity level and still have them be recognizable as well, which is convenient if you want to, for example, have a uh, big Hollywood movie that appeals to everybody and then make a TV show that is specifically designed for kids that uh you you spin off of it yeah i like you i remember the show being on but i never watched it so i do not know if it was any good i do know that uh john astin actually played gomez again just like he did in the original 1964 sitcom john astin been in a lot of adam's family things he's made cameos in almost every adaptation in which he was not playing gomez he he loves having a piece of that that adam's family pie you know it's uh he, he, I think, is, for a lot of people, up, up until, certainly up until the, the Raul Julia, you know, uh, starring movies came out, he was probably one of the things that people most associated with 
the Adams family is is you know him as Gomez Adams. So I mean, I will say like I think Raúl Julia kind of owned that role in that movie, but I I mean I agree. I think like his death was probably a big reason why we didn't get a lot of Adams family stuff after that. I I think that a third movie had been planned, but after he passed away, there was just no way they were going to do that. They they did a. A TV movie instead with uh, Tim Curry playing Gomez, which, All right. you know, not bad. inspired yeah. casting, but uh, it's not Raul Julia, you know? It's not Raul Julia, yeah. You also get some video games, though, which is what we've got here. <laughs> we do get video games, and I, I guess we'll just go straight into the Addams Family game, since we've been talking about the Addams Family for a while here. We're yeah. Talking Addams, I guess, too. Talking Addams, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're breaking down Addams. <laughs> So, so this is um, Pugsley's Scavenger Hunt, and this is a sort of a sequel to the first Adams Family game that we talked about a few episodes ago, made by the same company. I'm, I'm guessing probably a lot of the same people worked on this. I mean, it sure seems like it. Yeah, there's there's enough connective tissue there that you can definitely tell this game was meant to be a sequel of sorts to that other video game, even though they were based on different adaptations of the atoms. There's another ocean joint. It is set up in a pretty similar way to the other Adams Family game. In this case, uh, you are, of course, playing as Pugsley. Like Gomez in the previous game, he's exploring the Adams Mansion. They kind of tried to do a similar setup here where you can go to any level you want to, but it feels like there's not really as much in the way of pathways between the individual levels. Like, it's it's less... It has less of that kind of, like, pseudo-Metroidvania feel to it. Yeah, there's definitely not the same, like, overarching world world map that connects different areas together. Uh, things are much more linear here. And you don't have complete agency over which levels you get to try first. Some of the levels will be locked to you until you beat a few other ones. Um, I know, like, I, I guess each level is sort of based around one of the members of the Adams family who needs Pugsley to get something for them, or I guess? I mean, they say scavenger hunt, so... It's a scavenger hunt, so it's like you're trying to find something in each of their rooms, I think. And each of their rooms happens to be these, like, enormous labyrinthine platforming levels that are usually full of spikes and monsters and things shooting stuff at you from off screen. Yeah, and also a lot of blocks that appear and disappear. There are a lot of those, yes. I'll just say up front, I did not care for this game nearly as much as I liked the first Adams Family game that we played, which I think maybe took us a bit by surprise, yeah. um, which is why we ranked it as high as we did ultimately. But yeah, this one is more what I would have expected from that kind of game. But now my expectations were a little bit higher because we enjoyed that first game so much. And uh, first of all, this game stars Pugsley, which is a weird character to base an Adams Family game around because I feel like as, as far as the core cast is concerned, Pugsley is maybe one of the least interesting, at least the least explored. I feel like he has the least personality, certainly. I would rather play a game as Thing than uh than Pugsley, I think. A literal human severed human hand. I would I would much more enjoy playing a, a game as that. It, it's very strange. The only thing I I wonder is uh because neither of us ever saw the cartoon, may, maybe this is true, perhaps the cartoon centered around Pugsley more than 
a lot of other Adams media have in the past. It could have been trying to get some of that Bart Simpson energy. Oh, yeah, you know, I could see that. You know, it was the time period, so it's possible. And I, I guess that vaguely the setup of this game is that Pugsley and Wednesday are playing a game where she has made a scavenger hunt list that he has to find all the items on. So he's going to different parts of the the mansion to try to find these items. And like we said before, they're kind of all sort of connected to one of the members of the family. So, yeah, uh, you go through these levels that they're in some ways pretty similar to the kind of th things that we saw in the, the other Adams Family game. But I feel like the big thing here, like, because, you know, Pugsley, he got, you know, kind of a, a slighty run. He's not a super precise character to control. Um, and I feel like the levels demand a lot of precision that you just can't really... Uh, you just can't really manage with these controls very easily. There's tons of spikes and things flying through the air and very quickly moving enemies. It feels crammed full of things, and you're just supposed to carefully thread your way through them uh, in a way that doesn't really work that well. Everything does feel very cramped and unnecessarily so. Like, you've got a visual style that I think works. I think it's pretty good. I, I don't like the Pugsley sprite, but I think that's just more in line with we're not terribly impressed with the graphical style of that cartoon. I mean, we talked about that when we did the Nintendo Power episode that heavily featured this game and had an image of Pugsley in that style on the cover. Yeah, neither of us are really fans of it. But I think Pugsley is pretty well animated. And I think that the levels themselves look pretty good. I think that a lot of the enemies look cool, but you've got some levels, most of which are pretty decently designed, but then you just have them crammed with enemies and enemies that can fly and float through the air. And it just feels so needless. And it, it doesn't feel like there's there was any care or uh, reasoning behind the placement of a lot of enemies. It just feels like somebody amateurishly just going like, oh, hey, let's make it harder by putting some stuff here without really considering, does this need to be harder? Is the environmental traversal, is that challenge enough for this particular part, you know, like maybe we should space out sequences in which Pugsley has to dodge enemies and spaces in which he has to sort of navigate more complex environments in, in, instead of just mashing the two up into a jumbled mess. I do see some good level design here. It's just that it, it's kind of muddied by the amount of enemies on the screen. The other thing that kind of drove me crazy playing this, I've tried uh, uh, several different levels, and this seemed to be, like, an issue with all of them. A lot of them have these sort of, like, invisible triggers you have to hit in order to progress the level that are really not telegraphed like they're not it's not clear that one thing that you've just done affects anything else in the level so you really just kind of have to loop through some of these areas until you find the thing that you've affected because there's no there's no cue that you've actually done something but a lot of times you'll go through an area you'll hit a question mark that's floating in the air and then somewhere far off in a different part of the level uh you know a wall will have disappeared and it's just kind of obnoxious really because mostly because of the amount of enemies it just makes the fact that it's not very clear about what you're doing and what you what you need to do to move forward that much worse. Yeah, I think that if this game had focused more on its environmental puzzles and put more effort into making those more intuitive for the player, 
that would have been a better thing to focus on. They also do some things that I think are, are less cool, like sometimes uh, hitting a block that normally triggers uh, an element that will let you progress in a level will actively block off a part of the level that you could have explored if you hadn't done that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like the idea of punishing the player for curiosity like that. Mm -hmm. At least not right away. I mean, as you said, it's just it's not very clear about communicating with the player. You got to set up, you know, some some pretty clear lines if you want to cross the lines, basically. Certain platforms will just disappear after you've touched them, which, again, is, is an OK mechanic. But the blocks that do that look exactly the same as blocks that you activate that don't do that. Right. Like at one point I was going through a level that was very difficult. And after like a couple of tries, I finally sort of threaded the needle just right got through a section, landed on a platform, and then that platform immediately disappeared under my feet and dropped me into a pit. Ugh. And I think that was the point where I was like, okay, I think I'm done with this one. There's no visual cue that that's about to happen. Take, like, Super Mario 3 and the donut blocks that just fall under underneath you if you're standing on them. They kind of do that little shaking as you step on them. So you get an idea, like, oh, something's probably going to happen here. Like, if that block had started doing something, like if there were just, like, visible crumble marks on it or something, then I would know oh, I need to get off of this thing. And that's, you know, a reasonable challenge. It sucks because it's like you can kind of see a lot of the same elements that we liked in the, the first Adams Family game here, but they're all kind of compromised by exactly the kind of thing that you are, you, you've just, you've just explained here. Uh, and yeah, uh, I also think that the levels, the fact that they are so crowded and so intense right from the beginning does have the effect of making them all feel fairly samey, which is unfortunate because it, it feels like one of the most appealing things about having a game where you can select one of a few different levels to go into uh, would be variety and would be, you know, the player getting to kind of pick what sort of experience they want to have right off. But here, uh, it kind of, in some ways, doesn't really matter that much which level you pick, because you're pretty much going to have the same experience with it, regardless. Yeah, clearly we didn't think too highly of this one. I'm probably ready to put this one on the list, if you are, unless there was something else you want to talk about. No, I really don't have anything else here, but uh, I think, uh, yeah, let's go to the list and find a place for, for old Pugsley here. Right now we've got the first Adams Family game at number 34, and there is no way it goes that high. I'm looking maybe like as a starting point somewhere like Harley's Humongous Adventure at number 64 right now. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Uh, that's when we played pretty recently. Um, you know, it's another platformer. I think that Harley has a better idea of what it wants to be than Pugsley Scavenger Hunt does. I think that Harley still has some pretty serious flaws, but I think that just Pugsley Scavenger Hunt, it feels like somebody meddled with this game almost, you know, like somebody had a pretty good idea and then someone was like, oh, what if there's a bunch of flying enemies around? It's always the thing I wonder whenever we see a game that seems like needlessly hard uh, is like, was this game normal and then they decided that they needed to make it the way it is now uh, in order to fight the rental market, you know? Yeah. You know, like, did they just want it to be a thing where no one could make enough progress with this in a weekend to not have to buy it? Yeah. 
So do you think this one goes below Harley's Humongous Adventure? I do think it goes below Harley's Humongous Adventure. You know what's kind of funny is that this game almost has the opposite problem of Super Valis 4 at 69. Like, Super Valis 4 was t- way too open and sparse. That's true. That's true. Hmm. So does that make this a better game or a worse game than Super Valis 4, you think? I don't know. It's tough because they both have real problems. I think on balance... I was less frustrated by Super Valis 4, but I did find it more boring than this. I think I'd be more apt to return to Super Valis 4. Yeah, I think so too. I think that this one kind of turned me off of it from just by being by being so relentless. Whereas Super Valis 4, it's like, you know what? I could keep going with this. Maybe I'd find something good. At least I'd be able to see some neat boss designs. But yeah, this uh, is is just a little too much of something I don't really want all that much. So yeah, uh, I think it can keep going down. And I also think, honestly, like I would put it, I would keep it going down below Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge, which is at number 70 right now. Because yeah, even though that game's pretty inconsistent it's got some bad levels i do think that the fun parts of it are legitimately fun to a degree that i would still rather play them over pugsley i think i might drop it below lagoon and maybe even cool world in the hunt for red october as well okay you know what we got lethal weapon at 75 and lethal weapon just felt like such a nothing game to me in hindsight like nothing about it stands out to me i would put this above lethal weapon i think like it's not terrible for what it is but it's also kind of um just a very basic platformer like the best thing i could say about lethal weapon is that it had some okay level design but i could say that about this game too i think this game has way better level design than lethal weapon did it has secrets to find it has you know uh some kind of neat interactions we didn't really mention this but there's things in this where like there will frequently be like barriers and levels that you have to like have Pugsley like ride a cannonball into to to break you know some some kind of fun stuff like that uh there is some genuine creativity to Pugsley scavenger hunts level designs and and some some neat neat things going on there regardless of the other issues it has so it sounds then like the question is does this go above or below uh pro quarterback at number 74 i wish i remembered more about pro quarterback yeah i don't remember pro quarterback at all really so um so congratulations pugsley scavenger hunt our new 74 game uh all right i'm just gonna say that means it's better because we can't remember what pro quarterback was or how it was different from any of the other american football games we played so yeah uh pugsley scavenger hunt sneaking in there uh number 74 uh got a little block of games from this year actually that are that are all here in the 70s uh Cool World, Hunt for Red October, and now Pugsley Scavenger Hunt. Congratulations, top 75 game. And with that, I guess we will get on to game number two for today. Uh, And uh, last game of February 1993, that's going to be Tiny Toon Adventures Buster Bus Loose. Um, They are tiny. They are toony. They're, they're a, a little loony. 
No, I'll be frank, uh, I do not think that these uh, Tiny Toons are as loony as the Looney Tunes. Yeah, they seem to be a lot more willing to do stuff like go to school and take notes from the studio and things like that than the Looney Tunes did. Yeah, it was much more a sort of slice of life kind of cartoon than the Looney Tunes ever were, which I, I think kind of works. I, I liked the show a lot. I did too. Haven't watched it in a long time. Do not know how well it holds up. But again, you know, I think the whole slice of lifeness about it is what made me think that that was a series maybe more ripe for a reboot than even the Animaniacs were. Because I think you could more easily adapt that to whatever time period you need it in. Yeah, you know, I I was a big fan of this show. I also can't really say how well it holds up or not. But for the time, certainly this was this was kind of the shot across the bow from Warner Brothers TV animation, I think. Uh, letting things like, you know, the Disney Afternoon folks know that they were going to be big players in, like, TV animation again. This show was one of the things that, that Steven Spielberg was sort of involved in making happen. He was like, you know what? It would be cool if there were cartoons with kind of the sensibility of the, like, old Looney Tunes characters. That eventually proceeded to something that was a much more direct analog for for the old Looney uh, the old Looney Tunes characters in the Animaniacs, but this was this was sort of a first step and it was sort of a sense of like let's update this to to you know the modern day, let's let's have kind of I guess you know, ostensibly younger characters than that. Like, I think the Looney Tunes basically read as like adults and these are clearly supposed to be kids, but it functionally, they're just like the Looney Tunes. Basically, they go to something called a Looniversity, which would suggest college. They seem to have lockers and everything, which would suggest high school, but they all kind of read as elementary school kids. It's a very strange cartoon in that way, but it all kind of works like this, this weird sort of hyper reality that they live in. I do think that, you know, what you were saying about, you know, this being sort of the statement or maybe kind of like the point at which the kids cartoon market would start to pivot from Disney afternoon stuff to like the more Fox kids side of the spectrum. This came out in 1990. So I feel like that is maybe like the the, the break. This is the pivot cartoon where. You know, you start seeing all those cartoons and shows that started getting really popular, like on Saturday mornings on Fox, like like Animaniacs or Power Rangers, uh, X-Men, the animated, Batman, the animated series. Right. Yeah. All those cartoons. But yeah, also, uh, you know, pretty good cast here. You had like Charlie Adler playing Buster Bunny, Tress McNeil playing Babs. Um, did you know that the kid from Salute Your Shorts was Montana Max? I didn't. But that makes so much sense. The Budnick, right? Yeah. Like it. It, it sounds just like them, but I never made that connection before. No, that's that's really funny, actually. I, I had no idea. The episodes, some of them were more just like, here, let's let's put the Tiny Toons characters in like a genre. Like, oh, here, let's put them in a Western. Let's put them in a sci-fi thing. But a lot of them were also things that were kind of based around the idea that they were all friends who, who lived together in one place and had identities that were not completely dependent on whatever thing they were like parodying at the time. I also liked the idea that they were not just younger versions of the actual Looney Tunes. Like Buster was not just teenage bugs. He was is his own character. Elmira Fudd or Elmira Duff rather, right? That was her name. Yes, right. Was was sort of like the Elmer Fudd analog and they're like, "Well, 
she's not gonna be shooting anybody instead she wants to keep everybody as a pet and is you know that sort of obnoxious trope of uh, loving a pet to the point where you're you're actively doing things to it that are hurting it <laughs> which is maybe maybe a little uncomfortable today i don't know yeah i'm gonna say both this show and uh and the animaniacs were pretty comfortable with with depicting animal abuse in a way that i don't think would fly today you know i i think that a lot of the like kind of twists they did on classic Looney Tunes characters like Montana Max is presumably supposed to be kind of like the Yosemite Sam equivalent here and but he's just like a a, a real like a rich kid that guy you knew in school that always had the best stuff and was never happy or friendly or anything you know it was just a, an absolute jerk to everyone yeah or, or like the, the the dizzy devil who's a somewhat out of control but at the end of the day a very kind-hearted kid rather than like the actively malicious tasmanian devil that he's based on yeah you know i i liked a lot of that stuff i, I thought they did some really cool things you know sort of taking character traits from the original Looney Tunes and processing them through this, you know, at the time modern filter to make them something a little bit different and more relatable. I mean, we are talking a lot about Tiny Toons. Well, and I, I think it's okay for us to be talking this much about Tiny Toons here, because a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is actually present in the game we're going to be talking about today. The the game that we are talking about, Tiny Toon Adventures, Buster Bust Loose, it's a Konami game, which Konami has had some pre- a pretty good run of quality licensed games, uh, actually, at this point, and just a pretty good run of, of games on the Super Nintendo, and I think this also continues that. You know, I think much in the same way as how uh, Turtles in Time was a very good sort of showcase of the Ninja Turtles property in a video game. This also uh, gets across a lot of what we are talking about of, of having liked about the show, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. In, in this game, you're playing as Buster throughout this game, and each level is essentially sort of like a different cartoon from the show it's like a different segment from each one is like a different segment from the show which means that uh you know you do get a level that's just set in their school that's the first level it's pretty much the kind of most basic one and it's designed to kind of teach you how to play this game uh, but then you also have levels that are set in like um, you know a Western setting. The final level is a sci-fi thing. Uh, there's a level in which Buster is uh, is taking part in a football game. Uh, and yeah, so you know it's a, a lot of variety here, both in terms of like the visuals, but also actually in terms of like the structure of the levels. So there's some cool stuff there. And all the levels that you just described, I'm fairly sure for most of them, at least I can map to very specific episodes of the original show. So, I mean, I, I you really get the sense that the folks who worked on this had a very good sense of what this show was and really did their homework. If, if not just having an outright love for the show, like we did, I think all of the tiny tunes characters uh, have really great looking sprites. You know, I, I think they do a pretty good job of between level segments where Buster and Babs and other characters are sort of talking directly to the player of capturing the feeling of the show. Though I will say I'm disappointed by one thing in particular. Uh, very first level, when Buster and Babs are introducing themselves, they do not say no relation after uh, saying, hi, I'm Buster Bunny and hi, I'm Babs Bunny. I was waiting for it. I was like, what? no relation. You have to, you always say 
You always say that, but they do a great job. Buster looks great. He's got uh, some cool moves. He can dash, which also lets you run up walls. Uh, You've got a meter that you have to manage to some extent. There are segments where you're continuously dashing and need to keep it up, and they give you like little pickups that you sort of have to collect, and you you need to time your jumps just right to get them all, or you you might end up having to repeat a section, which... Can be obnoxious sometimes, but they, typically, you know, you're given enough leeway that you can make up some of that ground if you don't perform perfectly. I also like how tongue in cheek the game is in some of those between level segments. Like there's a haunted mansion segment where, you know, of course, Buster is running home from school and just happens to stop by an old creepy mansion. And even he comments on like, oh, boy, this sure is a cliche, isn't it? Well, I guess I'm going to be staying in a haunted mansion in this level, you know, or something along those lines. And I, I kind of appreciated just how much, you know, like how self-aware the game was about how cliched some of this stuff is and just like, well, we're just going to do this now, you know, or I think in the final level, Babs actually does get kidnapped. And even she sort of comments, you know, kind of lampshading the fact that like, yeah, this is just what we do because it's a video game, I suppose, which, you know, kind of almost forward thinking in a way of how how self-referential it was about the video game tropes that it itself was engaging in, which I, you know, kind of makes a lot of that stuff a lot more forgivable. There are also, like, references to, like, fairly specific things from the show beyond just the levels themselves. Uh, that, like, for example, there's an interstitial between each level where you do a bonus game to earn extra lives, and these are all given to you by uh, the wheel o games which is a reference to the wheel o comedy from the show. And all the, these sort of mini-games are fun because they give you uh, a little taste of the other Tiny Toons characters. There's kind of like a maze chase, sort of Pac-Man-ish game with Babs. There's a, a game where these sort of like Sylvester the Cat analog uh, furball is playing squash and other characters are kind of getting in his way. There's one that's just like you weigh different characters against each other. And if your character that you've picked is weighs more than the, the sort of computer opponent's character, you, you get an extra life. A lot of them make use of, you know, really nice, unique sprite art and sometimes different perspectives or visual effects that the super Nintendo could do. And yeah, like it's all good stuff that really feels like they, they got sort of the personality of this show. Yeah. Though I would say those bonus games are pretty uneven. There's uh, Plucky Ducks game is uh, simply playing bingo and there's absolutely no strategy. It's all completely luck based. You also said that there was a Hampton game that you could not figure out, right? It's basically kind of like a version of Pipe Dream where you're kind of leading Hampton around this maze so that he can collect apples. And there's just some very weird stuff about how you move the tiles around. It's not really fun and it's very unintuitive. Uh, I just, I yeah, I couldn't get it for, for the life of me. I couldn't. about it so far, but there are absolutely some issues with this game. One of the main ones, I think, is that much like several of the other Konami games that we've played, I'm thinking specifically about like Legend of the Mystical Ninja here, they've taken what should be a really fun, really easily recommendable game and just put in these incredibly unfriendly design decisions in certain places. There's um, a whole section in the sort of Wild West level. It's basically, it's a section of the level where you're on a train. The train is is speeding through the, the desert and there are these uh, like net bags, as you often see in uh, 
in in western things actually beside train tracks that will just sort of fly by and scoop you up if you don't know like ahead of time basically where they are and when to avoid them you're not really given any kind of warning about them and that kind of stuff really does affect you know the flow of the levels and i i don't really get why they did stuff like that it's really obnoxious yeah and it's super disappointing here because the game for the most part, does a very good job of teaching you how to play it by playing it in a way that not a lot of games were great at outside of Nintendo's own properties around this time. The first level has segments in which there are signs explicitly telling you when to dash and when to jump to help you get through an area that is mostly about trying to get through it as quickly as possible, almost, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog-esque. I think it does a great job of teaching you the mechanics of how to play the game so that you can use those mechanics in later levels without those explicit instructions. I think all that's really, really good. So when they introduce a new mechanic that really catches you off guard and takes you by surprise, it feels very unlike this game at that point, and that's what's a little bit disappointing for me. Like for me, I ran into an issue in the Haunted Mansion level where there are these uh, seesaw-looking devices that have balls bouncing on them. And if you you know knock the ball into the air, it'll fall back down, and that'll cause it to catapult you up, let you jump over gaps and things like that. But the first time you're you're introduced to that mechanic, it's actually being slightly obscured by a foreground detail. So I didn't even know what it was at first. And so then in the next area, when I, you actually have to interact with it and really use it to navigate the level, it kind of took me by surprise a little bit. And I was like, oh, this was what it was trying to tell me. This seems, that seems kind of bad. I don't even know why it was in that level previous. And then they also just kind of do the problem that we had with Pugsley Scavenger Hunt at that point too, where they just start introducing enemies in the midst of all this, where it's like, look, I'm just trying to navigate these weird teeter-totters. I don't need this on top of it. And, and I mean, we were talking about it and we actually both reached sort of our breaking point with this game at exactly the same place. There's a point in the Haunted Mansion level. It's level three out of six in this game. So this is roughly halfway through. You're, you're trying to use these these seesaw things to get over a pit. And while you're doing this, there is an invisible wizard that pops into view every few seconds and throws bats at you. And the bats stay on screen after he goes away. It instantly makes this part of the level really crowded. And you do get knocked back in this game whenever you get hit. So it makes it very hard to even stay on the seesaw that you're you're trying to use. And it's just, uh, it's just bad. It just feels bad and out of place. And after several tries of this, I think both of us were pretty much at, at a point where we were like, nah, this is it. This is as far as we go. And I, I think I could have gotten through it with, after a few more tries. But I just didn't have the patience for it. And again, you know, unfortunately, this, the, the nature of how we do these is that we've only got, you know, a week to play, you know, two or three games. So, yeah, it was it was a little disappointing seeing this really, really frustrating area when the game had felt a lot more, I don't know, like the, the difficulty had sort of been steadily ramping up. But then here it just kind of like really takes a, a sharp upward tick in a way that I, I wasn't crazy about. I will say, though, that the game does another really interesting thing that um, I haven't really seen a lot of games do here. Its difficulty level can be adjusted, and that has a lot of different effects on the game, not just deciding, you know, like how many hit points a certain enemy character has, but it actually determines what your abilities do. So typically... Buster can do like a dive kick uh, whenever you're in the air or even from the ground, you can hit the attack button 
and he'll do a little flip that will do damage to any enemy. And also it can be used in the air to give Buster a little bit more hang time that can help him sort of cross wider gaps and things like that with his jump. It's a neat mechanic. Uh, that's typically how you damage enemies. But in the what they call children's mode, you can actually use your dash to run through the enemies and it will not only just take them out completely, but you will not take damage when you run into an enemy while dashing. So it's kind of a neat way to get the younger set into this game. And I think it's it's clever that they called it the children's mode because I think this is a good mode you know, for the younger kids who this game would probably have appealed to back in the day to get a little bit more into it. And it also completely takes out some of the more frustrating aspects of the game. Like it actually removes that entire train segment from the wild west level. You don't fight the uh, dizzy devil boss fight in level one. I think it's a really neat idea. I think that maybe it would have been better if they could have found ways to not have to cut content from the game in order to make that work. But I think it was a very, again, a very forward thinking mechanic that you don't see a lot in games of this vintage it it, i think just kind of speaks to the level of polish this game largely has which you know that level of polish i'll I'll be honest is why when this game does make mistakes it it feels like it hits harder than it would if the game was overall more mediocre uh because it feels like the whole thing should be of like a very consistently high quality and it almost is but then it's just got bits that are are really needlessly frustrating um kind of sprinkled in i think that if they had introduced that wizard vampire whatever it was character in an area where you're not also trying to do some very precise platforming so that you could get used to how you take care of an enemy like that without the added issues of okay, I also need to navigate these seesaws and get to this area and avoid falling in this pit and everything else. I think that that would have been a much better way to go about it. And again, it would have felt much more in character for this game because typically they are really good about only introducing one new mechanic at a time. And then, you know, maybe later on down the road, you start combining them in ways to add to the challenge, but you know how to deal with each one specifically. So you just kind of combine that skill set and take care of it. So yeah, I think that this is a misstep in what's otherwise a really solid game. And artwork here is great. The environments look great. It looks a whole lot like the cartoon. They did a great job with all the sprite work and the animations and everything. And yeah, I I think this is really solid. It's just, it, it makes those little mistakes hurt a lot more because this is almost like just a real cream of the crop sort of game. So, yeah, list? List. Hmm, where to start with this one? I think maybe a good place to start would be uh, our number 18 game, The Magical Quest, starring Mickey Mouse. I think that is a good place to start, and I think maybe it's just because I've got a little bit more affinity for this property than I do Mickey Mouse in general, but... I think I liked this game better than The Magical Quest starring Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I I think I did too. Certainly having a little bit more affection for it probably does help. But I also think that this game foregrounds some of its best ideas in a way that The Magical Quest doesn't. One of the big gimmicks in, in The Magical Quest is the different costumes that Mickey can wear that give him different powers. And the game makes you go through 
pretty much an entire first level before introducing that concept, which is sort of an issue in that game. Uh, and I also think that that game has its own frustrations and in a similar-ish way to what we see here. It, it had that whole sequence where you had to ride those rolling tomatoes, and it was pretty hard to judge where you needed to jump off of them and whatnot. So in many ways, these games have a lot in common, both in good and bad ways. Uh, but I think that, you know, because this game is... A lot of this game is kind of built around using buster's dash move and uh, you know that is pretty much the first thing the game teaches you so i i think that is that is good and i think it's it's used well in this game and speaking of games with similar frustrations i think hook has a similar deal where for the most part this is a game that has a difficulty level that pretty steadily climbs as you go through the game but also kind of has a really sharp uptick at one point that i don't think is fair or fun, but it comes a lot later in that game. It's basically the last level in which you're suddenly dealing with some rooms that feel almost impossible to clear, but also those rooms do feel impossible to clear where this this one segment that we both got caught up with in uh, Buster Bust Loose was just kind of annoying, but I think we could have gotten past it if, if you know we just had more time. I don't know. This one... This is another one that, that I feel like these two are pretty evenly matched. They're both kind of on the short side. Hook's a little bit longer, I think. I think there's more levels. Yeah, I, I think Hook has more like like eight to ten levels or something, and this has six. I'm kind of tempted to give the edge to Hook. I think Hook's a more consistent game in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I, I agree with you about that problem with the difficulty spike at the end. But I, I think in that case, it's... In a way, I kind of respect a difficulty spike that is is more about just, like, kind of pushing the game's mechanics to kind of their limit than one where they just seemingly made some clumsy errors with, like, how they put together a level. Maybe this one slots between Hook and the Magical Quest. Okay, so so we're going to inject a little bit of Warner Brothers in this Disney block here? Yeah, you know, we're going to have a Disney block sandwich with some Warner Brothers uh, bologna in the middle. All right, so congratulations to Tiny Toons Buster Bust Loose, our new number 18 game, making it now clearly the highest rated game of 1993 so far. Yeah. In the top 20. Konami really had both, like, a, a bunch of very talented people working there at the time, and also just a real eye for how to use the Super Nintendo really well. Like, I think that, like, you see a lot of of just real uh, effective use of the hardware here to make something that genuinely does not feel like any other platform game uh, I've played on the system. In some ways, you could compare it a bit to Sonic. Uh, in some ways, you could compare it to, like, Rocket Knight Adventures. But uh, there's nothing really quite like it here right now they they did a good job with with really going above and beyond with uh, with a license here it's cool to see things like that because i mean a game with tiny tunes on it was probably going to sell pretty well it really could have been garbage and it wouldn't have hurt sales all that much it could have been like a simpsons game <laughs> yeah it's nice to see that they put so much effort into that game and that it is you know as, as easy as it is to go back to and is recommendable still today and with that, I believe we are now closing the book on 1993, or sorry, February 1993. Yeah. We still got a lot of 93. Like, to yeah, go. those other 10 months, they don't matter. Don't worry about yeah. them. Nothing exciting ever happens after February. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, that does mean that we're going to have another Playing with Power edition 
uh, in the next episode of Sinescapades. And after that, we'll be going on to March of 1993. And I don't know, are we going to just stick with doing two games for a while per week? It sure is making these easier to research and cut together. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, it means that we move through the list of games a little bit slower. But I I think in, in a lot of ways, it's for now at least... Uh, it feels like it's just better to go to go with two games at a time. Okay, well, we may stick with that. Maybe if we get to a month that is particularly long, we'll uh, we'll go back to three just to get through it. But I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll play it by ear, I guess. Uh, in any case, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you next time for the March nineteen ninety three issue of Nintendo Power with, I believe. Buster Bust Loose on the cover, actually. Great. Good. All right. We're going to get to talk more Tiny Tunes, so we'll see you then. And until then, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Amy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. At least we never got um, the thing that we did eventually get with the Munsters, which was uh, a bizarre and ill-fated attempt to make a a like serious version of the Munsters. What? An evening drama version that took the horror element very seriously. Look it up, folks. It's called Mockingbird Lane. Uh, it was a pilot. It had Jerry O'Connell as Herman Munster. Jerry O'Connell? Yeah, Jerry O'Connell. From Sliders? From Sliders. That's him. Uh, and he was playing uh, a version of Herman Munster in, um, really, it was only a pilot. I don't think it actually went to series, but uh, yeah, Mockingbird was, Lane. Was there, is he even tall? Like, is what? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's very inexplicable to me. Was there just not, like, any charismatic NBA player who had nothing going on at the time? Like, what? Yeah. Okay. I, I got nothing. I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs>